0: your yes. soul.
1: May we affirm our faith with joy and a willing spirit as we hear today's scripture. Our reading is from Genesis, chapter 27, verses 5 through 10, 18 through 27, and 41 through 44. Now, Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father say to your brother Esau, Bring me game, and prepare for me savory food to eat, that I may bless you before the Lord before I die. Now therefore, my son, obey my word as I command you. Go back to the flock and get two choice kids, so that I may prepare from them savory food for your father, such as he likes. And you shall take it to your father to eat, so that he may bless you before he dies. So he went to his father and said, My father, and he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat my game so that I may bless you, that, so that you may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, Because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went up to his father, Isaac, who felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, Are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Then he said, Bring it to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to him, the days of mourning of my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of her elder son Esau were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called to her younger son Jacob and said to him, your brother Esau is consoling himself by planning to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice. Flee at once to my brother Laban's home in Haran and stay there with him for a while until your brother's fury turns away. This is God's word for God's people.
2: So we're in the middle of our sermon series, Flawed Yet Faithful. We are in installment two of the book of De- Genesis, Rachel's Notes style. This week, we're doing the last half of Genesis from chapter 25 to 50, covering the story of Jacob and how his story informs all of our faith stories along the way. When we left off last week, Sarah had given birth to Isaac, and she had 37 wonderful years raising him and being blessed by being his mother before she passed away. Abraham was concerned that Isaac was a little bit listless and said, it's about time for my son to get married. He's almost 40, so let me go and find a wife for for him. He sent out a servant to, to his homeland and said, find someone who is a worthy candidate for my son's affections. He came back with a woman named Rebecca, that the moment that Isaac saw her, he immediately fell in love and said, I want to take her as my bride. And Abraham was like, well, that's convenient because she's scheduled to be your bride. (laughs) They got married, they tried to have kids, they struggled to have children as well, but not as long as Abraham and Sarah did. When Rebecca finally did get pregnant, she found out that she was pregnant with twins through a dream. And God told her in this dream that she was carrying two children in her womb and that they were going to be at battle for most of their lives. They weren't going to get along. And the older child was going to to become a servant to the younger child. I'm not sure I would have wanted to wake up from that dream. (laughs) But she did, aware of this reality, and when she gave birth... She gave birth to Esau first. He was hairy and red, and his family said, what better name to give him than Esau that actually means hairy? And then Jacob was born. And when I mean and then, it was immediate, because Jacob was holding on to the heel of Esau, wanting from the get-go to have that claim of of the birthright of the firstborn, of the getting the blessing from his father. But that was not the way that it was to be. Now Jacob, I don't know if his parents did this intentionally, but if you look at the definition of Jacob, it actually means he deceives. So intentionally or not, they set him up to live into that reality. That's not to say that all the Jacobs in our lives are going to deceive us, but this Jacob was given a name that he lived into. He lived into it first by stealing his brother's birthright over a bowl of food. Esau had been out hunting, was tired from the day, and smelled this delicious aroma permeating from the kitchen that Jacob was preparing. And he said, Brother, give me a bowl of food. And Jacob said, What's in it for me? And Esau's like, Just give me a bowl of food. I'm your brother. I'll give you a bowl of food if you give me your birthright. Okay, I'm that hungry. And he was a little bitter about that, but he's like, it's not that big a deal. I got dad's blessings still coming my way. That's really the important thing, so we'll go with that. And then you heard the story that was read to us. Those are excerpts from the chapter that tell us how the situation unfolded. Esau was sent out to go hunting. Rebecca heard that this this order was sent, and she said, Jacob, come here. We're going to take this a different route. Let's work together and get you that blessing that you deserve. So Jacob went forth and got the blessing from his father. And as we hear, Esau was more than a little ticked off. He was frustrated beyond belief. The blessing that he got from his father was lackluster in comparison to the one that Jacob got. And he plotted his brother's demise. Rebecca, hearing that Esau was doing this, said, Jacob, get out of town. Go quickly, go to my brother, go set up house there for a little while, and when things have settled down here, I'll call you back. So Jacob gets on his way, I think largely out of fear about what his brother's gonna do, and journeys on to meet his uncle and his family. But the journey's long, and he stops and spends the night in a place that ultimately gets named Bethel. Because that night, while Jacob is sleeping, He has a dream, a vision that some of you guys may know as Jacob's ladder, a vision of angels ascending and descending, going from the reign of God, or the kingdom of God, to the earthly presence. And Jacob recognized that something holy was happening in that place. So he took this stone that was his pillow, turned it on end, and made it an altar and anointed it with a sacrifice of oil, which was a precious gift in that time, and said, God is present in this place. He continued on in his journey and met Laban in, in Padan And he, when he got to Padan he looked around and he said, oh, that woman drawing water from the well is so beautiful. I need to find out whose daughter she is so I can find out what I need to do to marry her. Turned out that it was his cousin, Rachel, and he went to his uncle, Laban, and said, what do I need to do to marry your daughter? And Laban said, okay, so if you work for me for seven years, you can then marry my daughter. That gives me enough time to marry off her older sister, because as customs, the older child gets married before the younger child, and we'll make that work. In that time period, I love, the, I love this phrase, so let me read this to you. Rachel Held Evans says that, only after Jacob works for his uncle, breeding and tending sheep for seven years, because apparently Jacob is something of an ancient Mesopotamian sheep whisperer, is he allowed to get married. How would you like that moniker on your business card? Ancient Mesopotamian sheep whisperer. Um, so the wedding day comes around. Merriment, frivolity, wedding night. Jacob wakes up in the morning, rolls over to say, good morning, honey. And much to his chagrin, it's Leah and not Rachel. That's by his side. And he's, he's more than a little curious and unhappy about how the night unfolded. I'm a little curious about how that unfolded too, but I'm going to leave that alone. <laughs> he went to Laban and said, father, father-in-law, uncle, you promised me Rachel and now I'm married to Leah. Well, I've got a deal for you. Next week, you can marry Rachel as long as you promise to work with me for me for another seven years because, again, you're the ancient Mesopotamian sheep whisperer. So I need your work to build my property and my, my possessions. Jacob agreed because ultimately he wanted to marry Rachel. They get married and then the battle of who can produce more kids happened. Leah had four boys, and Rachel was unable to conceive. Rachel, taking notes from her great aunt, or her aunt, Sarah said, hmm, maybe I should give you my my servant to be your wife, and she can make some babies for you. And the servant had two babies. Leah saying, well, I'm not gonna be done up by my sister's servant, so you can have my servant, and you can make babies with her. And she had two babies. All of a sudden, they're up to eight kids. Rachel finally gets pregnant, and she has a son of her own, Joseph, Jacob's beloved child, the one that can do no wrong in his eyes. And Leah, not wanting to be outdone by this, has more children for Jacob, two boys and a girl, So just so that we're on the same page, we're now at 11 boys and one girl that are Jacob's children. Jacob's looking around. He's been in Laban's land for for about 20 years. And he says, our family is getting too large for the spot. And God's calling me to go back to the land that was promised to my grandfather. So he goes to his father-in-law and says, dad, it's time for us to go. And dad's not so happy about that. But ultimately... They, they make an arrangement, some more story unfolds, go read the chapters um, if you want to hear more about that. Um, and Jacob is continuing on his way to go back to the land promised to his grandfather. But he's getting a little anxious along the way because who's in that land? Esau, that's right. His brother Esau is there and he's like, I wronged my brother. How is my brother going to respond when I show up there? So he's contemplating what to do. He starts sending envoys of presents to his brother, saying, I'm coming back, here's some gifts for you, please accept them as my apology, please forgive me. But he's still uncomfortable about what's going to happen. So he sends his family across the river and spends a night that he thinks is gonna be in prayer and contemplation. He He contemplated some stuff, but it was in the form of a wrestling match with a stranger. And in this wrestling match, it took place all night. And at a certain point, the stranger had the, the upper hand. At other points, Jacob had the upper hand. And at one point, Jacob went, this is not a mere person. Clearly, I'm wrestling with God right now. And, that, and as he made this revelation, the person he was wrestling with said, it's about to be daylight. We need to end this fight because I need to be on my way. And Jacob said, I'm not going anywhere until you give me a blessing. And the stranger said, all right, you will receive your blessing, and in that blessing you'll also receive a new name. Your name will now be Israel, because you have wrestled with God and have prevailed. Jacob continues on his way. Oh, he prevailed, but he didn't prevail without harm. That's what I was missing. I knew there was a point I was missing. Um, While they were wrestling, his hip was thrown out of joint, and he was forever walking with a limp from there on out. So as he and his family make his way to the land that was promised to them, he comes upon Esau, still a little scared, but wondering what's going to happen. And instead of being a contentious reunion, it was one filled with joy and love and thanksgiving that they were reunited. I would love to read Esau's story sometime to know how he mustered up so much forgiveness and learned forgiveness so well, um, because that would be a great lesson in and of itself. But at a certain point, as they're living in this land, Esau had, had established his own family and had even more children than Jacob had. So they were unable to live in the same area and be able to provide for everyone with the, the soil and tending to your livestock. So Jacob, on God's directions, moved back to Bethel, which is where he had seen that latter experience. Rachel was excited because she became pregnant with another child. She delivered Jacob another boy, but in the process lost her own life. Jacob was distraught. He was saddened about this reality and probably even lavished Joseph with even more affection because Joseph, Joseph's mother had passed away. But I guess he hadn't learned about favoritism from his father and his mother and how that caused issues in their family. And so the favoritism that he experienced in his family, his children experienced as well. And his son said, I don't like the way this works. Let's get rid of Joseph, and then we can be treated better by dad. And then Jacob was sad because he thought his son was dead. Fast forward, because I want you to go read Joseph's story in the Bible. At some point, they're reunited. Joseph lived a very good life, was able to provide for himself and and Egypt and everyone in the midst of a famine. Jacob and Joseph were reunited, and when Jacob passed away, he had his whole family gathered around him. So that, as I said, is the Cliff Notes version or the Rachel's Notes version of that story. I encourage you to go read it, but there's some life lessons that we need to take with us from this story. First and foremost, we need to embrace the reality that God loves us for us. Not some imagined perfect version of ourselves, but who we are, the flawed individuals that we are. Madeleine Langell, who wrote A Wrinkle in Time, wrote a book called A Stone for a Pillow. And in that book she says this, the glorious message of scripture is that we do not have to be perfect for our maker to love us. All through the great stories, heavenly love is lavished on visibly imperfect people. Scripture asks us to look at Jacob as he really is, to look at ourselves as we really are, and to realize that this is who God loves. God did not love Jacob because he was a cheat, but because he was Jacob. God loves us in our complex isness. And when we get stuck on the image of the truly, totally virtuous and morally perfect person we will never be, we are unable to accept this unqualified love or to love others within their rich complexity. If God can love Jacob or any single one of us, praise be let us embrace that love and accept it so that we can embrace our flaws and move forward to be faithful. The second lesson that Jacob teaches us is to be open to when God is present, regardless of where that takes place. Jacob didn't experience God so much in a building, but out in nature, where God was present to him, both in Bethel and when he wrestled with God at Peniel. Jacob was open whenever El Shaddai came to Jacob he was ready for the presence that is why he took his stone pillow and built an altar Jacob knew in the Lord kn- Jacob knew delight in the Lord in a spontaneous manner which too many of us lose when we move out of childhood and because we have forgotten delight we are unable to accept the golden light of angels. That's another quote by Langell of truly being open to when God is there. One of the most important messages that I think Jacob gives us is that it is okay to wrestle with God, if not even ideal to wrestle with God. (sighs) Rachel Held Evans in her book Inspired, which the earlier quote came from, says the significance of this story of family origins to a people of Israel cannot be overstated, for it demonstrates how dynamic, how the dynamic personal back-and-forth relationship between God and God's people is embedded in their very identity, their very name, Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome This understanding of themselves as people who wrestle with God and emerge from that wrestling with both a limp and a blessing informs how Jews engage with Scripture. And it ought to be how Christians engage Scripture too. Evan says that the biblical scholars that she loves to read don't go to the holy text looking for ammunition with which to win an argument or trite truisms with which to escape the day's sorrows they look for a blessing, a way of engaging life and the world, and they don't expect to escape the search unscathed. Langell says, perhaps we need the angel to start grappling with us, to turn us aside from the questions that have easy answers to those which cause us to grow, no matter how painful that growth can be. Our faith is not passive. It can't be passive, but it's a rough and tumble, no hard holds barred, all night long struggle. And sometimes we have to demand a blessing rather than wait for it. And as we talk about those blessings and the ways that we wrestle with God, we have to name our struggles. That's the last lesson that I got from Jacob. We have to name the places where we are in that That wrestling match with God, trying to figure out where we're going, who we are, is God present in our lives, how God is calling us to be different than we were before the wrestle. Because when we name them We own it for ourselves, but we also give the courage for the people that come after us to know that they too can wrestle with God, that they will come out the other end stronger and victorious with their own blessings so that they can go into the world as God hopes them to be. As we learn lessons from Jacob's lives, I hope that we learn very clearly that God loves us despite our actions, that we are to be open to who God, who God is, where God shows up, wherever it might be, that wrestling is okay, and that we should name our struggles so that we go into the world as people that radiate God's love and light to others. Amen?